If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Shattered Lives. This is our Week in Crime episode. Uh, We're focusing primarily on one topic this week because it really is the only show in town in terms of a crime story. And it has started a huge national conversation and that is... Uh, crime within Dublin and is the the question being asked is is Dublin safe um we want to open this podcast though just in mentioning uh, obviously the the very sad uh, passing of uh, the very talented Sinead O'Connor um may she rest in peace and thoughts are with her family just want to sorry introduce Mick O'Toole Mick you have fond memories of Sinead yourself Paul hello yes um no I, I I've obviously this has been recorded on Thursday morning I just I just got very upset. I think she was my generation. She was she's fifty six, so she was four years older than me. And I, it's it's funny. I was just saying off air. I remember the first time I saw her, nineteen eighty seven. She released that song Mandinka, and I, I think I was watching the old Grey Whistle Test or something like that on the BBC, and she just came on and, I, and she had shaved hair, and I was like, what the hell is this? And 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 she was doing the wee. I still remember, I can see her in mind, holding the microphone with both hands on the stand, you know, and she was doing her wee bendy knee dancing like they do. And then she started singing. And so that was when I was an adolescent and a, and a teenager. So I sort of grew up with her. And, you know, I can remember her singing, do you know, the Michael Collins in Michael Collins film. She did that. And then, but what really, really struck me, and I, I got quite upset about this last night. I was just watching two things. There was a fellow called Terry Hall, who was used to be in the specials in Phone Boy 3, another of my generation. He died, I think it was earlier this year. And when he died, there was people put up a tribute. And one is, was of him and Sinead singing a, a version on a programme called Eurotrash, which was very popular in the 90s, of uh, All Kinds of Everything by Dan. And it was just a delightful song. And then... A couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, on the Late Late Show, she, do you remember her appearing on the Late Late Show? Yes. Uh, are you talking about the 2019 appearance? Well, it was a 2019 that far. Yeah. Um, I was just completely entranced by her voice. And I watched I watched it again last night, nothing compares to you. And look, I just, a lot of people are very sad. And it's, somebody said this last night, just how, you know, Twitter can be a, a terrible place, but Irish Twitter was just 99.99% united in love and affection for her last night. And I just wanted just to mark her passing. And yeah, I think we're all, it's all a bit of a sadder place for that. Yeah, absolutely. I particularly remember that uh, Late Late Show performance 2019. Um, just very, very powerful. And rewatched it there last night. Um, she never lost her voice. She had a, a very troubled life, clearly, and had her battles. Uh, um, but uh, she, she was an incredibly talented person and uh, was ahead of her time on, on many different topics and, and an inspiration to many. So may she rest in peace. God love her. Anyway, let's talk about crime. Yes. So crime, 
uh, the subject matter we should really probably stick to. <laughs> um, yeah, just look, obviously, uh, in, in a way, I, I was a little bit reluctant initially to, um, shall we say, turn this into a bigger story than it is, because at times things happen that start kind of conversations and a furore and something becomes uh maybe bigger than it ought to be. But I think there's a really, uh, over time, over the last couple of days, it's been it's been proven that this is a national conversation that's been waiting to happen, I think, for some time. Um, because anyone who lives in Dublin and has been out on a night out recently will probably tell you that they just don't feel as safe in the city as they used to. There is there is a feeling, definitely post-COVID, um, whether it's backed up in the figures, we'll talk about that in a minute, but there, there's definitely a feeling that Dublin has become a more unsafe place to be, particularly at night. Um, so we thought we'd have this conversation and, uh, you know, what do you think, Mick, just before we get into the stats and figures? I mean, I, I know you're not uh, a Dubliner per se, but you're, what's your feeling about just the capital at the moment and when you're there? So we, we, we obviously, our office is on Talbot Street. I was in Talbot Street on I think on Tuesday, it was it was definitely after the the assault on Mr. Termini. I mean, on our offices, it's it's effectively right across the road from where Mr. Termini was attacked. Now it was during the day. I'd be of the belief, you know, Talbot Street is one of my favourite streets. There's a vibrancy about it. There's a it's got it's very much got its own character. It's not, you know, it's not an anemic, boring street that could be in London or Frankfurt. It's definitively. Irish and it's definitively Dublin. So I I have to say, I've never had any difficulty on Talbot Street. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm negating other people's lived experiences, because I know you had an experience a wee while ago. And I would frequently, like yourself, I would have been on the late shift in Talbot Street and we would leave the office and you'd have to would have to walk to a certain place to pick up our cars. And at night, you know, it, it's robust. But for me, I love Talbot Street and I, I like the vibrancy of it. Look, there can be people whose behaviours are challenging. And I know Mr. Termini was attacked there. I know other people have had bad problems there. But it, for me, it's a vibrant place. I know that there is a problem with policing. I know that there is a problem with public safety. Um, but do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are your experiences at Talbot Street? Yeah, I mean, I've obviously uh, haven't been there as long as you, but for the past eight, nine years now in, in and out of Talbot Street, um, independent house there where our offices are. Um, I would say, you know, largely during the day, it was always bustling. Um, you know, there's lots of businesses in the area. Um, so there's great restaurants there uh, and cafes and it, it's, it's good during, during the day, but, um, certainly in the evening felt a little bit more to hodge walking around back to the car park. Uh, but I never really had any uh, encounters. I have to say that I would feel more for uh, my female colleagues, particularly at night who would have to walk uh, railway street up, up to the car park there in the dark. Now, since we, since COVID, most of us are working from home and aren't in the office as much. So that kind of, um, danger has dissipated shall we say but i would just say as a punter as somebody now going into dublin city center be it for a night out or in shopping or whatever i i definitely just get the sense of of, of there's just a few more anti-social uh aspects going on that i've noticed is there is a noticeable change definitely there are more um i don't want to stigmatize any one particular sector of society but there there are more uh persons around the streets that are in dire straits 
And that does create a certain sense of unease. I would say that 90% of them are virtually harmless and are people that are downtrodden in life and are having a difficult time. But there are people there with serious addiction issues and problems. Uh, and particularly with alcohol is what I would be worried about because when somebody's drunk, they're out of control. Um, when somebody's on heroin, less of a danger, I think, really. Um, but uh, like I would, just to give an example, it, 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 this is not by any means dramatic but it just just kind of illustrates i suppose the randomness of it like i was out on a night out there last week um and i was actually having an ironically having a conversation with friends about safety in dublin and it was 10 o'clock at night and i was sort of saying you know i think i think like there was plenty of people around i was like it doesn't seem that unsafe now now i wasn't downplaying it because i i have noticed it myself but i was saying look compared to like metropolitan cities across the world like new york or whatever i mean there's parts that are just so dangerous we're not like that at all here and literally in the moment that i was having that conversation um a person came up to me with a glass bottle in hand uh very 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 aggressive and he was get out of my fucking way uh i did get out of his way but uh nothing came of it but it was very aggressive and and just scary in the context and and i was like you know it was only well okay it was 10 o'clock but it wasn't that late you know and plenty of people around but i did feel the danger of that that somebody who was maybe not in their right mind with a glass bottle in the hand something could easily get out of hand and when you hear about all these incidents that have been happening they have been like that very random in nature people just going about their business and then suddenly they're getting attacked and there seems to be at least anecdotally a real uptick in that that type of incident. Do you remember we went out? Uh, there was myself, John Hand, Mick O'Neill, you, and a couple of your buddies who were out celebrating that that night, right? No, I don't remember. No, that yeah, night. I, I remember the start of it. <laughs> no, but anyway, so I parked. So uh, we went to the Foggy Dew, didn't we? Was it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yes. So I parked with Mick O'Neill. I parked in Fleet Street car park. So we walked up, and I have to say, I I, I was struck by. When I came out of Fleet Street Car Park, I was struck by the noise. It was what, 8 o'clock. It was, I think it was a Friday or Saturday night. Saturday night, I think. 8 o'clock. And I was struck by the noise and the number of people around. It was like, for me, it was like, Jesus. I know I was like that in my younger days, but it was like, Jesus. But, you know, so we were out. Probably left about half 11, didn't we? And uh, we're walking back to Fleet Street. And I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimize. I, I didn't get any bad vibes there. But look, I, I maybe I was just lucky. Do you know what I mean? I I mean that, that was a good night, and it was. I think the vast majority of Dubliners would say the same. But maybe do people are entitled to feel frightened, and as you say, it's there are issues, and there have been incidents. I'm not saying because it, nothing happened to me. You know, I'm just saying what my experience, latest experience was. That's fair enough. Yeah, no, there's certain parts of the city that I, I do I do think there there is a bit of unease around, and unfortunately, it's right dead in the centre. I think in and around Talbot Street, in and around O'Connell Street. Um, where this incident, this, this encounter I had was just up Delir Street. So right there, dead in the centre of the city centre, there is a little bit of social, anti-social activity. Yeah, you definitely feel it in and around. In Temple Bar as well, uh, the outskirts of Temple Bar, not right in the touristy, but all that kind of just central in our city area. There's definitely, there's just more of a vibe. I'm, I'm not just saying this myself. My own friends would tell me this. Or you just don't feel as safe in the city. Paul, you're of an age that you're going out. I, you know, I'm, I'm in the 50s not as now, much so, as you, think, you know. But yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, okay, you're not in your 20s, but you know what I'm saying? So there's obviously generational things. So 
I'm a born old fart who's middle aged and stays home with his family. But you know, but I, I even remember a couple of years ago. I think it was must have been 2016 because it was a wee bit merry, and I took a picture of the GPO going, "This is where it all started." So when I was walking down Earl Street and all, and it was like it was half two in the morning. I, I, maybe I was I was so drunk it didn't have my wits about me. But I, I I thought I felt grand. And, now that was a couple of years ago. Look, no, I, I, everybody has their own stories. Uh, I, I remember I was assaulted once, and I was actually in Belfast. We were just jumped. So, and that was 19, God, it was 1983, 94. And that was bad. It was really bad. Just, just walked down an alleyway, a shortcut from one place to the other and five lads, bang. That was it. So, yes, look, I, I, I'm just saying that when I'm in Dublin, when I was younger, when I was out messing around, I was grand. And when I was out that time with you and the lads, I was grand. But I'm not, I'm just giving my experience. Yeah, that's fair enough. Like, there's context to this i don't think that it's armageddon in dublin and that it's the most dangerous place on earth it certainly isn't in that context but i think you should be able to feel safe uh, in the capital city and mo- and anecdotally more and more people are saying that they don't so there's something definitely up and that is why this terrible attack on stephen termini uh a native of buffalo new york really started this conversation i mean it's not the only random assault that happened even that week but it just struck a nerve i think with the country uh, in that here was somebody who came over here uh, and as the story emerged his story emerged that like he came over here it was his dream to come here and he loved being here and uh, he loved talbot street in particular and and was a uh, frequented the the celt bar up there and, and was staying in the, in the area which we would know because yeah. we've had our our christmas parties there it's this good atmosphere there and and it's very popular with Americans. Uh, I've always noted that that it, like and that that's the problem. And this we've been talking about this really pre-COVID. That you know Americans are coming here and they want to they want to stay in the city center. They think O'Connell Street is the beating heart of the city, or at least it should be because it's the main street. So they want to stay close to it. So they usually would be staying on Talbot Street or or close to. Uh, and and I can remember even when we were back in the office, you know, we we would not laugh, but we would kind of go, oh, they have no idea like what it's like around here. Um, you know, if they did, they wouldn't be staying here. But to them, it's like this is the center of the city, so surely it's the best place to stay. And that's true that you should be able to to stay in the center of a modern city and and feel safe. But yeah, but haven't but haven't said that, Paul. Obviously, you know, I, I studied languages at university and one of the things was we'd go travelling in Europe a lot. And one of the things that we always say, and it was just, now this was in the 80s and early 90s, you know, it was just other travellers tell each other. And the whole thing was stay away from train station areas, whether that's in Paris or Milan or where, Vicenza, where I was. Don't At night, you stay away from the train stations, train station areas are dodgy. And obviously Connolly Station Bosaris. and Bosaris around there, you know. So, I mean, I, I would... When I'm booking somewhere, I would try and avoid train transportation hub areas myself. Would would you do that? Or? Yeah, I, that that's true, and I, I that was actually the point that I was making to my my friends in that much bigger cities, much more popular tourist destinations like Paris and New York, etc. There, I mean, these incidents are frequent in the in the in the city centres. Yeah, in certain boroughs, certain areas. Um. 
nonetheless, I do think just there, there seems to be anecdotally more of these incidents. But just let's let's speak about the assault on, on Stephen Termini because it's this is what started this whole conversation. I do have to be slightly careful now because at this stage there are now three individuals who've been arrested and one of them who is before the courts. Um, they're all underage teenagers, so they can't be identified in any way. Um, the, the, the individual who is charged is charged with assault causing harm, uh, Section 3. Uh, offence. Um, so we learned that Stephen Termini was attacked last Wednesday uh, in the it's very close to Store Street Garda Station there, just at the junction between Store Street and Talbot Street. Uh, there's plenty of CTTV around there and obviously it's right next to the Garda Station. Again, I think that's what also has sparked the anger in that it was right next to the Garda Station where, where, where this happened. Well, I would quibble with right next to, I think. Well, yes, but it's, yes, I'd say it's probably about 200 metres, which people may say is right next to, but but it's sort of at the bottom of the street. And from the, I'm not taking any sides, I'm just saying, because you and I would know that area very well. It's it's out of sight of the Garda Station. Yeah, it is. To be fair, it's more on Talbot Street than than Store Street. Yeah. Anyway, look, I mean, because I know that struck me because, when we haven't watched the CCTV, uh, I don't know, it's, we'll have to be careful, but I think the alleged incident starts on Talbot Street. Yes, and then it, it does. You know, and it, it is what it is. But the, but, yeah. These are these are all very young uh, alleged uh, assailants. And um, again, there's people before the courts, but it's alleged to be a, a very serious assault. And uh, Mr. Tirmini was left in a critical condition uh, and was sent to Beaumont Hospital, which you're sent to Beaumont Hospital when you have a head injury. Um, up until the recording of this podcast, he has been in a coma and uh, was in danger of losing sight in one of his eyes. I, I, um, I think he is going to lose that. And and, um, I, 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 and again, I, I, don't, I don't need to go into it, but I think it was as a cons- not as direct consequence of what happened, but there had to be some certain medical procedures because of injuries he suffered. So I, I think they do fear for that eye. But look, I think it's fair to say there were very strong concerns for his life at the start of this. And and, um, and Paul, you and I know whenever anybody's, as you say, is whenever any, we hear anybody's transferred to, to Beaumont, it's, it's a really bad thing because I think that's a, a national centre of expertise and centre of excellence for treating your neuro uh, head injuries so when we always hear someone transferred to uh, Beaumont we always think to the worst like for example around the same time I think it was the next night there was a man found with serious head injuries in Galway in Dominic Street in Galway so he was treated at University College Hospital in Galway and then the next night he was transferred to Beaumont so when I heard that this is really bad so look hopefully hopefully I, I, I don't think his life is in danger now. I think it's life-changing injuries, but please God, he'll he'll recover. He's in a stable condition. Um, and his family, obviously very concerned and overwhelmed by the media interest in this. Uh, we were contacted by um, uh, Mr. Tremini's son, Mike. Uh, and um, Mike is obviously living over in Buffalo. Um, and uh, he also has another son called Jesse. So the both of them, as we're speaking right now, um, are arriving here in Dublin today uh, to be by their father's bedside. Um, I'm going to play, uh, we're going to play just a brief audio here of a little 
piece of an interview I did with Mike. Uh, this is just prior to him flying over here. So he's speaking about his father's condition at the time. And also, uh, you know, he was made aware of the comments made by the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. So she came under a bit of fire for saying that in, in her mind, Dublin is safe. She feels safe in Dublin. Um, she, she subsequently has acknowledged that, yes, there are serious issues, but she still feels that Dublin is a safe place. I want to actually read out her quote. I still believe, I still fully believe that Dublin is a safe place, but there are issues. There are very clear issues we need to deal with. And one of the best ways to be able to respond is to make sure that we have more Gardaí out on the beach, on the ground. And that is an absolute priority for me. Now, at the time of her saying that, there are serious resource issues in the Dublin metropolitan region. Uh, we, we could speak about that maybe after this clip. Um, so yeah, just want you to hear the clip here with Mike speaking about his father, Stephen Termini. As far as you know, your father's condition is, is the same and he's stable in the hospital, yeah? Yep. Very good. Is, is he still in a coma or have you been updated on that? Um, yes, he is still in a coma. Okay. So it's it's hard is it hard to know at this stage, I suppose what what his brain activity is like or like how how he is in in, yeah, in that. I, it's hard to tell, mm. um, and it, honestly, a lot of it, um, especially with like planning for the future, etc., is all just like we need to be there, and then you know when questions and information gets released to us in person, mm. we see updates, we can kind of plan accordingly and act accordingly. So do you hope to be in the um, the court case that's happening on Thursday? I would like to be there for that. You know, I I, you know, I, I would like to be there, you know, so they can realize how much, you know, trouble and pain that we've been dealing with. I don't know, just kind of see what happens, see how everything goes. Yeah, um, there, there was actually a, a um, what's called a joint policing meeting today in Dublin. So the uh, a very senior member of our police force attended that and there was a, a talk about violence and crime in Dublin. So this is this is really inspired like a huge conversation over here, you know. Um, and... I'm really glad to hear about that because honestly with the, you know, while I have the attention, I that's really what I want to advocate for. Um, you know, I think now more than ever, there should be more positive change and things should be taken seriously. And, you know, we should make everywhere a better place. Everyone, you know, should feel safe while in the country, no matter what part. And, you know, it, it, you know if, if they're doing the joint police meetings, it seems like some people are taking it more seriously than others. Mm. Um, I don't know what that woman's name was, M McEntry or something. Oh, Helen McEntee. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, I saw that she said that um, where my father was attacked is a safe place in town. Yeah. So she's very out of touch, at least I think. Um, and it's a little outrageous that like an entire country is trying to tell this woman, you know, hey, that's not the case. I'll, you know, if if anything happens, I can tell her too. I'll be like, hey, you know, obviously it's not. If it if if it was a safe place. None of the stuff over the past year would have happened. So that was that was a tough lesson, but he seems like a very fair, fair man. Yeah, and and you know, um, 
he he wants justice. Yeah, he, he he believes in the justice system here. Um, and also, you know, it's important for him just to be with his father in this moment. He did say to me that, um, he kind he kind of lost touch with his father over the years. His dad's dream was to come to Ireland, and that he worked uh sixty hours a week. He saved up every penny that he had to come and live here. Um, and that was important to him. He thinks he's going to get the shock of his life when he sees his two sons over here. Um, but but he he says he's hopeful that he will recover, and they're just going to plan the next steps. But they're the most important thing to him now and to his brother is that they're they're with uh, their father in this this very difficult moment. Must be terrible. Absolutely. So we mentioned the resources issue, like Helen McEntee saying, uh, acknowledging on the record that there are resource problems but uh, she's saying it's a priority for her to fix that uh, the government um, have promised 48 new Gardaí to the DMR region over the coming months but you have information you have stats about uh, them being down quite quite a few numbers already Mick. Yeah so uh, Assistant Commissioner Angie Willis who is the Commissioner for the DMR and just for listeners who aren't Gardaí or hacks like us the DMR is the Dublin Metropolitan Region so it's the basically policing the capital of Dublin but it goes from Balbriggan to Clondalkin down to Bray. So it's a huge area. Um, and there are a lot of different districts, which is you know, guard boundaries. So, yeah, the Commissioner Willis said at the Joint Policing Committee of Dublin Council, which I attended on Monday, that there are going to be 48. There are, uh, I think there's about 85 new guardy being attested on Friday in Templemore Goddard College. And she says 48 of them are going to the DMR. Okay, now that sounds a lot, but that's for the whole DMR. I think the figures are for the North Central, which is what Store Street is, Store Street and uh, the Bridewell and Mountjoy and Fitzgibbon Street. I think it's about 11. So make that make that what you will. Because look, as the commissioner says, she's in charge of the whole placing of the whole DMR. So if she gets 48, she has to send them to Pier Street in the south. She has to send them to Lugoon. She has to send them everywhere. So 48. So 10. Now, there are currently, and we might talk about this later, there are currently four Garda units on the regular. So if there's 10 or 11, that's two to each unit. Two, two and a half, maybe three, or 2.5 or whatever, to each unit. Now, that's, that. look, it is what it is. They can only allocate what they have. But uh, Sean McCarthy, uh, a freelance journalist, did a piece last week about the North Central. As I said, that's Store Street, the Bridewell, Mountjoy and uh, Fitzgibbon Street. And there were 600, at the end of last month, there were 615 Gardaí available in those stations in that division. And that's 24 fewer than the start of the year. So look, there is, and we've written about this, I remember I broke it the, uh, at the start of the year, that there have been more than 100 resignations as opposed to retirements in Garda Shikana in 2022. There is a problem with people leaving the Garda Shikana. Now the guards will, or the government will say that no, it's under 14,000. And they'll say they're, you know, they're higher than 2018 or whatever. That's not taking into account one very, very important thing. There has been a significant increase in the number of specialist units. So domestic, uh, you know, uh, protective services units around the country, special detective unit, National Bureau of Criminal Investigation. And they come from what's called the regular, so the frontline response policing. So if there's an increase in specialist units, by its very nature, that means there's fewer frontline guardy. And that does seem to be an issue that for, for valid reasons, they have had to increase these, these specialist units. But if you're increasing them, you're taking from Peter to pay Paul. 
And that does appear to be a problem. And what that means is, and I think you interviewed a, a guard from the DMR West in the Banchestown area called Mark Ferris. Yeah. And he made an interesting point. Detective guard Mark Ferris, yeah, he, he, re- he re- uh, represents the DMR West area, but but obviously um, within the GRA, uh, they're all colleagues and he would be very familiar with uh, policing across the city uh, from his colleagues and you know, I, I think he gives because we we're you're talking the stats there, and then we talk about what the minister has said. Uh, he, he gives a realistic picture of what is actually like on the ground, um, and and what he's saying is that many of these guards, the younger guards in particular, are finding themselves what he calls pen pushing, uh, in behind computer screens, caught up doing paperwork because there's just so much paperwork. There's fewer guardie first of all, which means that they have to do even more paperwork. They're taking on so many different jobs all at once so they don't have time to be out on the beach to be out on the streets and then um uh, detective guard ferris also made the point that uh you know guard really guards really should be going out on the on the beach in twos but they're being told sure go out there by yourself sure you have a radio you'll be fine you'll be grand uh and guards are apprehensive about doing that and there have been incidents in the city and elsewhere where they're on their own and an incident is happening and and they are naturally fearful and apprehensive uh, about getting involved when they're on their own. That's the reality. Did you see that? There was a video, I think we did it ourselves in the Star and in the Mirror, about a fella taking a swing at a guard at a bu- on, a, on a bus. Did you see that? Yeah, it, um, Mark actually mentioned that incident as an example of what we're actually talking about here. Yeah, yeah. And how, what happened? A member of the public had to go and help the guard? Yeah. Yeah. Because he did, he did swing at the fella, at the guard. You know, he's on his own. You know, I mean, and that that that's the reality. They're on their own. I mean, how? It's 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 just it's just not good enough. Um, and Mark it was go on. Sorry, yeah. This is just from an internal policing perspective. I think in the DMR, if a guard calls for backup, they have a button, an SOS button on their Tetra. Hold it down, sends out an SOS. The guards flood to the area. And I mean, they they all go, but I'd hate to be a guard in a rural area seeking help, and it could be twenty five minutes away. But if the numbers here are as down as they say they are, I don't know what the response time is in Dublin. But well, you'd hope it's better. But it's, I, I I I actually I'm kicking myself about something just story wise. Somebody told me the other night that there were five hundred twenty three calls on hold in Dublin. And I, and I, oh, that's very interesting. I meant to do it. Then somebody beat me to it. But that's and we did a story. Do you remember we did? I did a story a couple of months ago. I got stats about the nine 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 calls. Yes, there were you know people were waiting like ten minutes on nine 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 calls, and the guard said, "Look, that shouldn't have happened. That it wasn't good enough." But I'm told that there are regular problems, being able to answer calls and being able to send members out to to nine 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 calls. So it's an issue. It is definitely an issue, and there is, I think, there's a real problem. Uh, and I think the government is in trouble about this. I I, I think we're reaching a, a, a tipping point here. I think we are. I, I, you have to wonder. I'm not really a political commentator, but I, I just you, you can't help but notice that the, the photo op that that has happened. I mean, in the wake of the outrage here, uh, you got the minister all of a sudden uh, out front and centre, getting her photograph taken and commenting on this, and you know Angela Willis then going to the to the JPC, and everything's going to be all right, lads. We're going to have forty eight more guardie. Would that have all came about had this poor gentleman not been assaulted? Ah, no, I I think that that photo up or walkabout, whatever you want to call it, was as a direct result of that attack on Mr. Termini because it, it, it was actually at the spot. That's what I'm and saying. Was, yeah. yeah, no, no, yeah. no, definitely not. Now, maybe it's because he was a, a foreign tourist you know, yourself. But um, 
one thing, Angela, I have to say, I thought Angela Willis, I thought she spoke very well at the JPC. I thought she was quite honest. She did say we need more Gardaí. And she also said what you were talking about, the, you know, the mental health. She did say that particularly young Gardaí occasionally feel overwhelmed. And that word overwhelmed jumped out at me. And it's, you know, I mean, that, that was startling. She did say that there's welfare issues and the guards, and it is a fair point, Gardaí will see horrific, she used the word horrific, will see horrific things in their job. So she was talking about the welfare, but she did use that that phrase, that word, overwhelmed. Um, and what one thing that jumped out at me from the JPP was Neil Ring, who's a councillor for the North Inner City. And he was furious about the minister. He said it was like a circus. And he said that people in the North Inner City were really, really, really angry about that book about photo opportunity. And I, I put that to justice and they, they didn't comment. But for me, it was... Uh, and every journalist, there were lots of journalists covering. I went on that line, but other journalists took different things. I thought that was a very strong line about a councillor slamming the minister for doing a walkabout in the same area where Stephen Termini had been assaulted. So that was that was that was very uh, strong for me. Can I just talk about a couple of other incidents in the JPC because I thought this was really really yeah, interesting. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So the JPP, it's a joint policing committee. So the senior guardie, the commission, Angela Willis, or the commissioner of the day was Pat Leahy previously before fields answers from politicians and the floor is open and politicians can ask whatever they want. And I was, I have to say, I was encouraged by the attitude of the vast majority of politicians who spoke, people like Dahi Doolin, Mary Fitzpatrick, uh, Deidre Heaney from Fianna Gael. So really the vast spectrum of the parties. And they said a couple of things. This, all of them said they feel safe walking around Talbot Street. Now, they did say things like it needs better lighting, it needs tidied up. That's right. And maybe they were, they, they thought they might say that because they're, they're their uh, constituents. And, but, and people might say, and they did say, I feel safe, but they acknowledge that other civilians or citizens, shall we say, don't feel safe. But what really encouraged me, there wasn't a the hanging and flogging attitude by the politicians who, who, you know, there were loads of journalists at this. They could have grandstanded if they wanted. And what they all, most of them said was, look, Guardy cannot solve this issue by themselves. And that I, I think that was quite a mature attitude by people like Dahi Doolin, Deirdre Heaney, and all, to be fair to them, and, and uh, 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 Janet Horner, the, uh, the Green Party uh, politician, and Nasser Harrigan. So there was, I thought there was a level of sophistication there, to be fair to them. And the right, I mean, we, Paul, we always talk about this. I always say this, when the Guardi get involved, other aspects of society or government or civil society have broken down. Guardi are the ultimate emergency service. They're the ultimate stick and plaster. So do, do you think that's right, that it's not a, a, a problem that can be solved by Guardi alone? I do. Yeah, I think that's right too. I, 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 don't, I do think a little bit more visibility is needed. Uh, certainly more guards walking around. I'm not talking about like armed guards or anything of that nature, just just ordinary com- p- community policing needs to be increased. Yeah. But like that, that kind of community policing is really engaging with the community, getting to know the community, be, you know, uh, developing a relationship in particular with the youth. And let's that, be real here. The youth is the problem. Like a lot of these incidents are being carried out by kids, like kids that are like, you know, carrying out brutal assaults. Brutal, random assaults and thefts being carried out by people age 14. There's something clearly wrong with society when that's happening. Um, is it the education system? Does that need to be looked at? Is it, is it the kind of dire straits, the poverty that some of these people are living in? And, and the parenting then, let's be real, uh, is, is, is obviously not there. Um, that's the problem. So 
there needs to be more community engagement, certainly in the inner city and in these places that are poverty, po poverty, impoverished areas uh, and, and education of the youth. And um, that's what needs to be done in my eyes. And I, I would say most people in the inner city would say that to you. But, and I, but I would agree that the presence of Guardi on the beat is a deterrent and a reassurance as well. So that is a major issue. There's not the numbers. The Guardi will tell you they do not have the numbers for what is called the regular response policing. They just don't have them. But it's not a question of hang them and flog them and beat the living daylights so they can get the ass out and start them out like Lugs Brannigan, whatever. We're a more mature, mature and sophisticated society. So, you know, the guards, when all else fails, the guards are there. But really, so the, the, the thing should be to make sure that the guards don't have to, inter to act to protect people. Or, you know what I mean? So you're right. But there, do, but there is a problem with guard numbers and there is a guard with the problem with guard visibility. Absolutely no doubt. But let's try and, you know, get to the stage where that, make sure we don't have to get to that stage where that intervention is required, physical intervention is required, shall we say. You know what I mean? I don't want to come across as Mr. Woke or whatever, but I, I think that's quite a sensible proposition. No, I think... I think that is, and and oh, you can't send everybody to prison either. Like it, it can't be the only deterrent. It, clearly, it isn't a deterrent to people. So, you know, it, it has to start with uh, developing a community and educate educating the youth. I think, um, like I mean, it's probably not the best example, but I mean, if, when you look at America, people often cite America in terms of punishment, and like they have real a real punishment system, and you know. You could sentence somebody to life in prison. It means life in prison, or like for even the most minor offences, you get decades in prison. Well, sure, I mean, okay, they a bigger population, but they, their their crime is out of control in many different ways. So that's not the answer either. It's not the the, the only deterrent. Um, yeah, definitely more community policing. I think more visibility is needed, but um, particularly with the youth, they they, they just need better parenting, better educating. And and the community needs to be uplifted. There, clearly, there are seriously impoverished areas in Dublin, um, and that's a failing, maybe of our government. But that, that that's a wider conversation. Der Dermot Lacey, I was just looking for his name there. Dermot Lacey, Labour Party councillor for South Dublin, South Central Dublin, I suppose. He's he was very interesting. He was assaulted himself a couple of years ago, and he said he paid tribute to the guards. He said the guards were great. Where he felt let down as a victim of crime was in the judiciary, right? And, uh, and we always talk about rehabilitation and stuff, but I always remember I, I was at a, a high-profile trial a while ago, good good while ago, and as far as I've heard this from a judge, he said, you know what, in sentencing, there has to be a punitive element as well as rehabilitative and stuff. And I, 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 judges don't, I haven't heard a judge saying that. That's the first time I can remember a judge saying that. You do have to be punished for what you do, but you have to be rehabilitated. But just that, he Dermot Lacey certainly felt let down, not by the guards, because the guards got the baddies. He felt down by what happened afterwards in the courts. And I thought, but as you say, can we jail everybody? We can't. But he, as a victim, and it's interesting as a politician, he said he felt let down. It's a tough one. I don't have the answers to this yet, but it's 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 an interesting conversation. But we don't even have the room in the prisons, <laughs> you know, to put all these people away. Yeah, like it's an interesting topic. I, I just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, um, well, you want to speak about the statistics, obviously, like it, that that that's interesting because we're talking about all the anecdotal evidence. But what do the stats say uh, about assaults in Dublin? So I, I went on to CSO, which is a, a fantastic resource for the public and for journalists. And what they've done is they've broken down crimes, offences committed by 
Now, the, up to 2022, from 2018, as far as I went back to 2022, they broke them down by Garda station. But they, sometimes the latest ones, they would break down by the region uh, or division, which is the DMR North Central, for, as I say, for North Inner City. But I, I have them here. I, I looked at stats for assault offences. Now, that includes threats, harassment, you know, threats to murder and that sort of thing, and public order. So they're, they're two separate things. So just look at assaults for Store Street. They've definitely gone up. In 2018, now that's, as I say, that's, the panoply, panoply could be anything. There were 541 offences recorded in the Store Street Station in 2018. Now, 2019, it was 558. 2020, it slumped to 466. That's COVID. Absolutely. 2021, it went back up to 534. And last year, it was 609. So it breached 600. Compared to 2018, it was 541. So that's a significant jump. Let's look at Pier Street which is the sort of the sister guard station of uh, Store Street. So it's on the south side of the, of the left, the south inner city. 2018, there were 670. 2019, there were 680. 2020, COVID, 374. 2021, back up to 433. And last year, there were 825. So in other words, on, on the two city centre stations on either side of the left, last year, there were more than 1,400 uh, assault offences recorded. Let's look at public order, and it's it's quite interesting. I, I won't go into too many details, but in 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 Store Street in twenty eighteen there were seventeen hundred and seventy eight. Last year there were two thousand four hundred and thirty two. That's a significant jump. Uh, but it's the the reverse in public in, in Pier Street in twenty eighteen there were two thousand six hundred and thirty three. Last year there were eighteen hundred and forty three. So Store Street has gone up public order wise. Pier Street has reduced significantly. But look, what we can say about assault offences in Store Street and Pier Street, they have both gone up, and I think significantly uh, between 2021 and 2022, and definitely significantly between 2018 and 2022. Now, it'll be interesting when the CSO, the stats don't lie, and it'll be interesting for the whole stats for 2023 to see if there has been an increase. I think anecdotally there probably has. Yeah, anecdotally there has. Um, I mean, uh, just as I was speaking about other attacks just in the past couple of days, there was an incident in Jervis. A man was seriously injured. There was an incident in Prices Lane, Temple Bar. A woman was hospitalised. And uh, last month, um, a Ukrainian actor was hospitalised. He was glassed and bitten uh, in an unprovoked assault there as well. So these incidents are happening very frequently. yeah, we haven't got the stats for this year, but no, they're they're not broken down, and they're only they do it by quarters. So I don't think there's any point. I and mean, the only stats would be available for the North Central, which is the whole of the area. So we, we we didn't go that far. But as I say, look, early next year they'll they'll be they'll do the whole annualized things. But I I'd say there'll probably be an increase. So we we'll leave that topic there. I'm sure it'll roll over into next week. We might end up still talking about it. Uh, we want to briefly mention because it it was a significant piece of news yesterday that uh, the GRA. Executive has uh, decided to ballot uh, all of its members. The Garda Representative Association is going to ballot all of their members for a vote uh, for a motion of no confidence in Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. Um, this is something that's been looming for a while uh, at the conference um, earlier in the year. Certainly, they were talking about it, uh, but it didn't come about because I think there was a feeling that um, it might have been putting the cart before the horse. Might have been a bit early to do something of that extreme 
nature. And let's be real, this is a pretty extreme measure. The GRA and the AGSI are often expressing displeasure in the Garda Commissioner, but it's something else for them to go and to do a a ballot amongst their members for a vote of no confidence. It it really makes a huge statement. So the last time I checked, and the, 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 the policing authority or the Garda Commissioner publishes stats every month, the policing authority and it's good barometer. So the last time I checked, the latest figures show that there are 11,100 members of Garda rank who are entitled to be members of the GRA. Vast majority of them will be in the GRA. So you're talking 11,000 frontline Garda, rank and file Garda. Would you like to estimate how you think the vote's going to go? I think it's a given. I think it's a given, yeah. I mean, most members are, are completely disgruntled uh, uh, and, and feel, um, I'll paraphrase just what, what two said to me yesterday. Um, one person said that the Garda commissioner had ruined the force, uh, that morale had never been lower. I, I'll mention Detective Garda Mark Ferris said on the record in the interview I did with him this week that morale is at its lowest point ever in most districts across the country. And and most Gardaí, I think, do assign blame to to the management, to the Garda commissioner himself. There's just, I mean, we could speak about, we could nearly do a whole other pod on this, but we've mentioned this before. There's outrage over the roster system. That argument has just been going on and on. Outrage over the lack of resources and the amount of work and paperwork and stress and assaults have gone up by 20% year on year against members of Garda Siakana. Um, as Mark Ferris mentioned to me, um, the guards are, are walking away in their droves for, for many different reasons, and it's just not being addressed. The guards feel that they're also being the subject of many vexatious complaints to GSOC, and there's nobody policing GSOC, and uh, there's no reward for being in the job. And then when you want to become a guard, uh, there's no incentive for anybody over the age of 35, really, to join the guards because they could nearly earn more money on the dole. Well, and you- yeah, I was talking to I was talking to a retired, very former senior uh, fella today, and he was telling me. I remember doing a story about a lad who was in the defence forces, and he left to join the guards, and that's a, a well worn path. People from will leave the air corps, the army, the naval service. People will leave the prison service to become guards. Now it's the other way. There are guards leaving to join the prison service. There are guards leaving wow. to join the civil service. I mean, I was, uh, he was telling me about one senior person, senior enough in fairness, who is about to leave and join the civil service in a senior position. Because you won't be getting calls at three o'clock in the morning. You won't have GSOC going after you for using your incapacitant spray and all that sort of stuff. So we hear this because guards, like journalists, we love moaning. People people say guards love moaning. Uh, we, you and I would talk to guards all the time and say, oh, the job's fucked. And that's what they say, right? But I think we have a problem. Uh, I mean, as I said, I, I did a story about resignations and it was over 100 for the first time. I think 2016, it was around 60. Now it's gone up to 106. And we'll have, I bet you in 2023, it's a higher number of resignations. And even... With, There's 71 so far. This ah, there, well, there you go. And even one of the things they're, they're, they're very angry about is suspensions. I mean, how many stories have you and I written about Guardi being suspended? Now, some of them are, I mean, some of them are very serious. Do you remember that story I did about the guard? I can't say where, who's under investigation for paying a, a criminal to attack another guard's house. So that's heavy. But there is one case I'm aware of where a senior enough guard is under investigation for allegedly obstructing an investigation into money laundering. And it's quite a significant, it's a million quid. 
I'm not going to, I can't say where it is, but that guard has not, that senior-ish guard has not been suspended. So people are going, there are people in that officer's district who have been suspended for relatively trivial things. They can't understand why that senior fella hasn't been suspended. I, I, I asked somebody about this and, and they said, well, maybe there just mustn't be the evidence, but there is, just really, it was, it was Nat O'Connor in the journal who broke the story. Uh, the people, you know, complaints have been made, statements have been taken about that, that officer. So look, it's, people are very, very unhappy. And maybe, you know, because they're so down, they're going, well, how come it's happening to this fella, but not this guy? You know what I mean? So they're, they're, I've noticed in the last six months, there's a, a definite increased anger amongst guards. Yeah. I mean, there's always been some level of disconnect between, you know, management and people on the ground, but I've never seen this level of anger. There's, there's real anger towards this particular guard commissioner and just his attitude, I suppose, more than anything else. Guards feel that he's not listening to them and not addressing their issues. I mean, on the rosters thing, it, he wanted to take it to the WRC rather than engage in, in further talks on it. So, you know, and it, there's 116 guards suspended currently. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And can we, exp- so can we just explain about the rosters, why that is such an issue? I think we mentioned it before. At the minute, we're in the, the COVID roster. So there used to be five units, A, B, C, D, E. In the COVID, to get more guardy out and about, they reduced it to four, but lengthened the, the, the hours of what they call their tour, their, their shift. So I think it was 12 hours for most, but you had four on, four off. And that gave people certainty. Now, as the commissioner has suggested and said, if there's no deal by November the 6th, look back to the old pre-COVID roster. And I, that has devastated a lot of guards. And the number of people who are saying, ah, yeah, that's it, I'm gone. If he brings in that, They'll go. And also, the other point is, if you have five units, regular units, where are they going to come from? You're basically going to reduce the each other unit by 25%. And there's not enough guards out there for four. So how are they going to fill five? So all guards of all ranks I've spoke to think this is, a, as I said, a retrograde idea. But we'll see what happens. But there is one other, just we'll talk about this just briefly. Uh, I did a story in, in the Star and the Mirror today about Anne-Marie McMahon who is the Guard of Deputy Commissioner in charge of policing and security. So the Chief Executive, shall we say, directly under the under Commissioner Drew Harris, who really runs the Guards the, the, effectively because it's, it's the main job. So there's another Deputy Commissioner, Shauna Coxon. Coxon, she's a Canadian lady, but her job is governance and strategy, you know, you know that sort of stuff. So Amri Mahan is at the forefront of policing. She has announced her decision to retire. She told the senior leadership team a couple of days ago and ca- a few days later, the cabinet signed off on the placing authority advertising for a replacement. And that's going to be really, really important because the deputy commissioner operations usually takes over as commissioner. So I can remember Faulkner Murphy was deputy commissioner operations and he got the, the big, Martin Callan was, you know, uh, Pat, I think Pat Byrne was. Maybe not, but it's usually Deputy Commissioner Operations who takes over as Commissioner. So this is a big gig. So uh, it's going to be about who who goes for it and who gets it. There are four internal candidates who would be seen as early favourites. They might not apply. We don't know. It hasn't been advertised yet. But you're talking Angela Willis, the Commissioner for Dublin, Mick McElgun, who's in charge of crime and security, policing intelligence. Uh, that sort of stuff. Paul Cleary, who's in the, the eastern region from Meath to Wexford, big area. He's doing a, a very solid, solid job. And Justin Kelly, who is in charge of organised uh, and serious crime, runs Doc B and various things. So they're four heavy hitters. They uh, There are people who, from outside who can apply. There are people, other assistant commissioners who have come in since say, the PSNI, they can apply. But 
It's a very, very sensitive position. So it'll be interesting to see who goes for it and who gets it. And it, it is significant. I don't know if someone coming externally again would go down particularly well in the current environment. Well, see, this is the point I'm trying to make. And as, an, as a northerner, I can say this. So at the minute, so there's that triangle of commissioner, deputy commissioner of strategy and deputy commissioner of operations. At the minute, yeah. two of three of them would not have started their career in Angarda Shikano, we'll put it that way. Shauna Coxon is Canadian police. Drew Harris, RUC then, PSNI. Anne-Marie McMahon was always a guard, worked her way up. I remember, I remember she was an inspector in Henry Street in Limerick, so she's worked her way up. What sort of, me- and I'm not, uh, I'm not preempting anything, what sort of message would it send if that trinity were all from outside Angarda Shikano? Would that not be a terrible message? Uh, I, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. I just don't think it would go down well. <laughs> I don't think it would go down well at all. It would just be, and I think the issue is, what sort of message would that be for guards of ch- super chief or an assistant commissioner who are, everybody wants career progression. And, you know, if an outsider is brought in for deputy, that means that somebody's not going to get this, going to move from AC up to deputy. So that means that somebody, there won't be a vacancy for an AC. So the chiefs will be stalled until somebody retires, but they're all quite young. And, you know, there's the other, Cleona Richardson is also a commissioner, assistant commissioner, but she only got the job in February. The others were in, in assistant commissioner since last year. So, you know, it's probably, time's probably against her. But so then that's five. So, you know, they're all very, very young. Some of them are younger than me, I think. Terrible. They're going to be around for a long time. They're probably going to be around for nine years. So, you know, that means there'll be fewer opportunities for chiefs to move up. And that means there'll be fewer opportunities for supers to move up to chief and fewer opportunities for inspectors to move up to super. So people may get disillusioned. So it's just one to keep an eye on. And we'll see who who applies for it and we'll see who gets it. But it is a really, really interesting, uh, uh, what's the word? competition yeah and it's an interesting time for the guards in general like i mean this is i think it's at a breaking point that this this crisis with the commissioner be interesting to see i has there been a commissioner who who in the past uh, decade or so that that hasn't had a controversy though to be fair um that you know oh yeah oh yeah yeah but but i i but i i just think something has happened with true harris let's be honest you know, he's not going to blackball me, he's grand. I think, you know, he's, he's a straight-talking naughty like me. I think something that the confidence in the commissioner amongst Gardy has diminished in the last year. Would you think that's yeah, fair? Well, beyond, beyond diminished, yeah. So this, this vote of no confidence. I would be surprised, as I say, 11,000 members can vote. I'd be surprised if those who voted, it wasn't 70%. Yeah, oh, it's not more. Yeah, the ballot is taking place within six weeks. The result will not be the the result will be discussed on the si- the sixth of November. So we have a while to wait before we know uh, how that goes. Mm, very interesting times and places. Anyway, I think I've probably waffled on enough. Will we leave it there? Is there anything else you want to mention? Yes. Thanks very much for listening to us. We'll be back next week. Thanks very much, and she needs in our prayers. <laughs>